Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 98. If you are watching on YouTube, you will see that I'm in a new place. Hello, I'm in... um, I'm in our new house and we have a small little office area here at the top of the stairs. I'll turn my screen and show you. This is the stairs here, which we can walk up. And then the lady that was here before us, she had this, like, that's her bedroom in there. Uh, Kira's actually sleeping on the couch at the moment because she can't get comfortable in the bed because she can only lie on one side or something to do with pregnancy stuff. I don't know. And uh, she's downstairs on the couch, which it's kind of nice for me as well because... I get that extra little bit of space but this is the stairs come up and then there's a little office area up here which uh is quite nice so we're going to probably get a lot of use out of this and then if you look at that window there you will see yes it's very very bright and sunny you can't see everything but it might start to focus which it just did and you can kind of see over that wall over there that's water there so you'll see the water out there that is Tremor this is we're living in Tremor in the southeast of Ireland which is Watford City is about 10 minutes away and Tremor is like a coastal town so yeah that basically just over there is not the beach but there's a really nice swimming area that you can jump off the little uh, kind of pier down there so that's like a five minute walk away from us so hopefully we'll be making a lot of use over the of that over the summer and um yeah you see that the sun is shining hard here which is really nice because i got a message from someone uh in dublin and the the basically half the country is on is under snow and which is hard to believe because it's such a nice day here but we are called the sunny southeast here in ireland it's like um it's very tropical part of ireland so uh so yeah that's our that's our new little uh, office space here in the house. Kira will probably be doing most of our work from here. And I, our current office within our gym, which is about a five-minute drive from here, is currently being renovated. So the floors and stuff are going down. So we're starting to put some of the final touches on the gym, even though we'll have to keep doing more and more bits and pieces. But the office floor is going down. The heaters are, go- are gone in the office. The carpet in the entrance and all that stuff is going down. There's still a bit of work to be done on the toilets and then there's some branding and stuff to be done as well but we're after making a lot of progress and it's looking really good so kira is actually due this sunday today is the first of march which is a friday and uh kira is due on sunday so whether whether <laughs> i don't know whether what happens next i don't know we'll see but today if you are on youtube and you can see me uh can you drop a comment please if you watch on youtube uh, oh shit I just ripped my paper with all my questions on it if you're on YouTube drop a comment just drop a thumbs up or drop a hello I can see you or something like that because I do look at all the comments on YouTube because there's not many let's be honest there might be like one on a video or something like that but just drop a thumbs up or say hello David or love the podcast or something like that uh, let's give YouTube a little bit of love uh, today is a solo podcast. Um, I have three questions that I'm going to try and tackle. One is you seem to use a lot of unilateral work. Is this because it helps address asymmetries? Uh, second one is uh, about a shoulder client. From someone, I have a client that their shoulder keeps getting aggravated during all overhead work. Blah, 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 blah. Any advice? 
blah 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 isn't part of the question but when i tackle the question i'm gonna i'm gonna answer that uh as well as i can and then the final one is a question from an owner of a physiotherapy clinic about helping develop critical thinking within the physios in the clinic so i'm going to try and answer that whether i have good answers to any of these i am not sure um any other announcements to make no i don't think so so let's get started um you seem to use a lot of unilateral work is this because it helps address asymmetries um yes and no i think asymmetries in and of themselves are not an issue so if you i actually had had a conversation with a physio recently where i said where I said, uh, we spoke about the why behind some of the exercises. So she was able to sit in on a couple of my sessions that I was doing with clients. And then we looked at some of the videos afterwards and I kind of questioned her on, why do you think I'm doing this exercise? Why did I do this one? Then why did I do this one? Then why did I I do this one? I'm not expecting someone to be able to say exactly why, because that's, that's my thought process. But, um, where we kind of fleshed it out was because there's many reasons why you might do an exercise for example you could do a kickstand hinge for example i always choose that example just because i always choose hinging examples because you can really flesh it out if you want but for example you could use a kickstand hinge to help someone to get stronger in a positive shin angle or a more positive shin angle uh which could help them load their midfoot more. You could help them get uh, a bit of length through their soleus and restore dorsiflexion that way. You could help them learn to get hip extension before knee extension that way. You could help them uh, build up strength in their glutes or their hamstrings using this type of exercise. You could help them open up range of motion in their hip, hip flexion and hip internal rotation using that type of exercise. Potentially, you can get all of those things to happen in that type of exercise. But... I, I, and, and that's what we spoke about. But when I spoke to her, I said, we want to be clear on the, the, what's the one main why that we're doing this exercise right now. And if I ask you that question, I want you to be able to articulate that to me and vice versa for every, basically every single thing that we do within a session or within a program. Like there might be five reasons in your mind why you chose it, but give me one solid reason. And that's enough why you chose that exercise. So, um, so to answer the question of you seem to use a lot of unilateral work, is this because it helps address asymmetries? The one main why wouldn't be, I, I probably wouldn't answer, okay, I'm doing a split stance, a short split squat, or I'm doing a single arm bench press, dumbbell press or I'm doing a single arm lat pull down or I'm doing a, a hamstring a single a single leg hamstring curl or something like that the one if I was to give you one answer probably very 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 rarely would it be so that I can address asymmetries even like post-op ACL let's say you're a couple of months post-op ACL, you have a massive deficit in quad strength uh, on the affected side versus the non-affected side. I still, and I'm doing a single leg leg extension or a single leg leg press. 
I still probably wouldn't give you the the one answer. The one answer that I would would give you probably wouldn't be I'm doing this so that I can address asymmetries between right and left. It would probably be more like I'm doing it so that I can strengthen the right quads, the quads on the right side. Like that's the main reason that I'm doing it. And it's stopping you from using the left side. In this instance, in this example, the right quads are the affected side. So it's stopping you from using the left as much or compensating away. There is a symmetry present here, but the main reason I'm doing it is not to address asymmetries. It's to make the right side way, way, way stronger and continually to continue to make the right side way stronger. In my mind, that's what I would be doing that far to help uh, improve activation inter and intramuscular intramuscular coordination within the quadriceps, improve strength and hypertrophy. If I wanted to flesh out even more reasons around there, asymmetry will come along for the ride that we're addressing asymmetry, but. The simple fact of the matter is we're never going to be symmetrical no matter who you are. You're never going to have the right and left sides the same. So addressing asymmetries is not a good enough reason. Just building a ton of strength is a good enough reason. Building muscle is a good enough reason. Uh, Restoring coordination intramuscular in this instance is a good enough reason. And if you do those things, asymmetries will be addressed along the way. Um, So yeah, using being very clear on why you're doing something is one, like one main answer is important, even though you might be getting other nice uh, residual improvements in, in, um, in other things along the way. So unilateral work will help address asymmetries. It absolutely will, but it wouldn't be my main reason to do that. The main reason I'm, I'm getting people is it forces them to use the side that I'm going to work on. I do do lots of uh, bilateral work as well, so don't um, don't get confused. I do do back squats and front squats and dead straight bar deadlifts, trap bar deadlifts, uh, leg press, two legs, uh, bench press, uh, uh, pull ups, um, overhead press, all this stuff. Um, I do do that. You just don't see as much of that from me. I think. Initially, at least, I really do like unilateral work. I really like it. I think it's super valuable with people. A split, a good split squat, a good kickstand hinge type of movement or an RDL type of movement, like um, people will have different names for them. A good single arm press, a good single arm row, a good single arm pull down, uh, all that stuff. I do think that's really, really valuable. The asymmetry thing is funny because... If you use a bilateral variation and there's a big difference between like let's say range of motion inside. So if you have um if you have a shoulder problem on one side and you have very limited internal or external rotation on one side, that's not necessarily a problem. And it's not necessarily a problem within even a bench press, but the problem can happen is when turns start to occur in a bench press. So both arms are supposed supposed to be doing a similar motion and they are doing a similar motion, but one arm or sorry, one shoulder, I should say, runs out of space much sooner than the other shoulder. Uh, in general, it runs out of space, like just lying on a table doing something unloaded, it runs out of space much sooner. But now 
potentially when I add a bench press, it's running out of space, but there can be also a turn of the thorax included in that, which could potentially force it to run out of space even sooner. And this can be a a massive, this can be a problem. This can aggravate things quite a bit and close off space and, and force you to actually lose space rather than get more space. So this shoulder seems to need to get to get access we need we've decided we want to open up space but actually when we do this exercise it seems to close space even sooner so that that is that that is uh it's not a problem within the bench press that this is happening or within the shoulder but it is it is potentially starting to cause a problem because you're not uh you are you're losing space even sooner than you would doing it in another variation if that makes sense so that's where like okay we're just going to do a single arm dumbbell press and now instead of okay we already know the shoulder is lacking space but instead of it sorry someone's ringing me uh, a friend of mine who needs to put together my curved treadmill with me um that is i think sitting in my gym so sorry let me get back my train of thought so we know the shoulder is lacking space number one and we've decided we want to open up a bit of space flexion internal rotation external rotation whatever maybe a little bit of all of it we do a bench press it actually runs out of space even sooner because it causes maybe a turn of the thorax which closes off space even sooner the opposite could be true within um, a, a unilateral, like a single arm dumbbell press. Because now when I do that side, it actually gives me backspace because when I press, the thorax has room to turn away and towards the, the same side shoulder within a movement. Whereas when I do a bench press, the thorax doesn't really have ter- time to our space to turn away and towards because both arms are pressing up together and both arms are coming back together so there could just be one turn that has occurred in the in the thorax and it kind of stays there throughout the movement if that makes sense and that turn could be robbing you of space uh yeah, I won't get into the finer details of could it be Robin internal or external rotation space. But yeah, when within a unilateral press variation, you actually have space for if you think about your your sternum, it's potentially going to have a little bit of room to just rotate a little bit, not even about not even with you thinking or trying trying to do that. There's going to be a little bit of space or a little bit more compression on one side of the rib cage and expansion on the other right versus left and also compression on anterior and expansion posterior throughout different parts of the movement so it's almost like when you have a unilateral variation a pressing variation let's say this applies to the lower body as well but we're breaking your uh, rib cage into four quadrants there is the front right there is the back right, there is the front left, and there is the back left. There's four quadrants that can almost all move uh, separately to each other. Whereas when I do a bench press, um, a barbell bench press, let's say, I'm breaking your body into two sides now. Uh, sorry, two quadrants. Does that make sense? Two halves? <laughs> Uh, which is just a front and a back because I don't have the same space to actually compress my right chest wall, 
but not my left chest wall. They're both going to be compressing together. So I have unilateral, uh, unilateral, to summarize a little bit here, a unilateral dumbbell press breaks me into four parts at the thorax, front chest, uh, sorry, chest wall on the right, chest wall on the left, uh, posterior right, posterior left. You can obviously break it into more than that, but I don't find that helpful. Uh, A barbell bench press kind of breaks you into two, chest on the on the front and uh just the back of your body the rib cage on the back so anterior and posterior so you've gone from kind of four parts to two parts which isn't a problem it's not a problem that's a it's a feature not a bug it's a feature of an exercise is actually like that that's what allows you to compress more and be much stronger there you don't have all these turns to manage but that can actually start to oh, that can actually uh, give you back space when you go into unilateral variations. It can give you more space than you actually have because it opens up space for turns to occur. A regular uh, just on the table. Let's check the space that you have without turns occurring because I'm just checking. Um, I'm just t- checking humeral internal rotation. Hopefully, I'm not doing that with turns. And then when I have a bench press, I'm. I'm potentially robbing space where, which is not a problem, but if you're already lacking space, it can become a problem. So I feel like I've gone miles off topic there and gone into like biomechanics of pressing, which I didn't want to do, but whatever. Um, but you seem to use a lot of unilateral work. Is this because it helps address asymmetries? No, I don't do it because it seems to address asymmetries, even though it will address asymmetries. I'll do the unilateral work for two, probably two main reasons. One, it gives me more space. It gives me more room for turns and rotations to occur. And two, it forces me to work the side that I'm trying to work. I'm trying to load that side. Obviously, if I make you press on your right side, then you are pressing on your right side and not your left side. It forces you to work that side. Um, whereas if you, it's less prevalent in bench pressing, like you're going to be pressing more on both sides, but in squatting, in back squats, you'll see massive shifts happening over onto one leg, especially in rehab. People would just completely avoid uh, one leg, not completely, but as much as possible. So I'm doing it because it gives you space and it forces you into a leg or into a side much more but my goal with all my clients is for them to be able to do everything everything not not keeping them with limitations okay well you can only do this one thing or we can only do unilateral or we can only do but not bilateral we can only do these variations my goal is to open up options so that you have a full training menu that you can pick from and i think a lot of people the longer they go on with their training they lose options they narrow down it's like okay these are the only two squatting variations that now feels good for my knees these are the two jumping variations that i can do these are the three pressing variations that i can do and like it is an issue because that path gets narrower and narrower and narrower and you see that with athletes professional athletes as they go along like 
as they get poorly rehabbed from from issues and people talk about well it doesn't matter as long as they can get back to their sport and keep doing their sport it does matter because over time their path gets narrower and narrower and narrower and their movement they start to lose variety in their movement and that does i think catch up with you so yes in the short term a good coach will say okay don't do uh don't do a barbell bench press do a do a dumbbell press instead, single arm or double arm. But potentially that starts to become, don't do that variation now. Now you have to do an incline press. That's the only one that feels good. Now you only are able to do a floor press. That's the only one that feels good. So we're starting to regress and lose options as we go along rather than open up options. So it's not that any one of these exercises are better than any of the others. It's that I want to make sure that you have options, a full menu of options as you go along um, rather than losing options as you go along. So again, that's gone completely off topic. But two reasons why I'm doing your lateral work, two main reasons. It makes you work that side, especially in rehab where you're seeing so many like the nervous system will just try its best to keep the load away from the area that it's trying to protect. That's so important. That's why understanding biomechanics is so important because you can actually have a really good eye for, and just understanding looking at movement, you can have a really good eye for how someone is moving and what strategies they're using to avoid, to, you're not picking out faults. You're saying, actually, the opposite is true. Like I'm, I'm picking out how you're doing this and i want to give you back options by coaching more not take away options by coaching more so two things it, it forces you to use that side and it opens up space both of those things will address asymmetries over time no problem at all it will start to close the gap a lot over time even though it will never be perfect but if you think about it as if you frame it as i'm doing this to address asymmetries that's a bit of a crappy way to to look at it i think Hey guys, so our foot, ankle and Achilles program has just become one year old, 12 months old. It's past 4,000 users. If you're not one of those, I really think that you should be. It's a super valuable program. It has four phases of exercises, progressions, explanations, plyometric work, strength training, foot and ankle mobility. It's helped so many people in ways that they could never get help before. So check it out, our foot, ankle, and Achilles program. Kira is going to pop the link in the show notes, and I really can't wait to hear your feedback and your progress with it and your clients as well. Okay, second question. Hopefully that one was okay. Uh, I have a client that their shoulder gets aggravated during all overhead work. Unilateral, bilateral, lighter, heavier, supinated, pronated, etc 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 it doesn't matter it all aggravates them any advice so again you would have like much more you would want much more information so i'm never i'm never saying i have the answer because you would ask if my client just came in and told me that like i would play around a lot i would ask a lot more questions i would understand like is there some is there do we need to get a scan here or imaging or something like that or can we just play around and find out but i'm going to take you on your word that like i don't think there's a massive injury here and that just like all of these positions aggravate them no matter what it sounds like you've tried to play around with it and find the right ones for them i don't know how long this has been going on but what i've found with a lot of shoulder people is 
that when a shoulder gets aggravated, much more so it seems than a hip or a knee, maybe a knee, but like much more than a hip or other parts of the body, the shoulder seems to just be a bit finicky for want of a better word and obviously this is very much anecdotal but it just seems to like it just seems to be like oh that fucking thing that's annoying me it's still there and it doesn't it doesn't go away too quickly obviously it will go away but like yeah i think it's so much easier with the shoulder maybe because it has more degrees of freedom more more room it it seems to be there's and there's less like huge muscles around the shoulder like obviously think about the hip muscles are much larger than some of the muscles around the shoulder it seems like um once it gets aggravated and inflamed it's much easier to continue to annoy it uh whereas the hip there seems to be much more ways to get around that let's say um maybe it is because of the degrees of freedom available at the shoulder but it seems like you've tried everything but what about and I don't say this too often. What about avoiding overhead work for a little while? For maybe for the reasons that I've I've outlined above, uh, above uh, previously. Just what about if you avoid it for two weeks? Like it, it's it sounds kind of obvious, and hopefully it's not a pessimistic view on it. I know it's you're it's almost illegal online these days to say like avoid a movement. You, you should always be telling people load it, load it, load it. But like. What if loading it hasn't been working? What if it's just there's a bit of aggravation there? That person's body at the moment is really not liking going overhead. Maybe it's a range of motion thing that just don't have space. Maybe it's a pain thing that uh, it's just like the, the their nervous system is really guarding overhead at the moment. And it doesn't matter if you supinate the hand or pronate or internally or externally rotate, rotate or whatever. It just seems to not like it in any position there. So maybe it's a pain thing. Maybe it's both. Maybe the pain is causing a lack of range of motion because it's it, there's extra protective tone around those muscles or maybe the lack of range of motion potentially caused some aggravation and now it's like a a, a constant loop a feedback loop there maybe you're losing range of motion causing more pain because you're aggravating it and so on so there's many factors there so what about avoiding it for a while letting it settle down and then slowly creeping back up that seems to be a good option sometimes you have to just take a step back and say like why do we keep banging our head against the wall and what happens with, it does seem more with shoulders. Now, this is just, again, anecdotal, so don't take my word for it. But it does seem with shoulders, the more I keep banging my head against the wall, which is continually going into positions that are aggravating me, that comes closer and closer and closer. So previously, like I could get my arm all the way overhead and just at the very end range, that was, I'm get, I was getting a bit of a pinch there or something a bit, something was at me at my very end range. Now, actually, when I go overhead, like, because I kept forcing it, actually, that pinch is happening sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner. And at some stage, I want to stop banging my head against the wall and say, right, let's give that chance that a chance to start to regress back away again. And over time, then I can start to open up range rather than just continually banging my head against the wall. So I would give a challenge to, to some of my shoulder clients and also hip impingement clients applies here. Stop trying to force your end range let's say for two weeks in the beginning let's stop forcing it and let's purely train in a range that is comfortable for you 
and let's try and smooth out the range and build strength in the range and make it feel really good the range that we are comfortable in everyone i think uh, not everyone i think so many people in the industry are obsessed with end ranges and trying to get an extra millimeter of end range what i see working far more often is smoothing out the ranges that you have access to already making that range feel really good and guess what more range opens up over time just because you have focused on making the current range of motion that you have access to making that movement top quality building a lot of strength there creeping over time a little bit further a little bit further this is how you work with hip impingement type of symptom type of clients and and this is how you work with shoulder impingement symptom i'm not saying like you're diagnosing with this but it seems like they're getting symptoms that typically people would have diagnosed them with an impingement smooth out the ranges that they are comfortable in make them feel good there stop banging your head against the wall and back off a little bit what that might mean is in the beginning for the first week why don't you just keep the shoulder you don't go above 90 degrees of shoulder flexion there's so much you can do there not exactly 90 degrees but like somewhere around there you can do uh you can do pressing variations there like I said, actually, in the previous answer, maybe you can go unilateral, maybe you can go bilateral. You'll see. You can do pressing variations there. What I do when I can't go into much shoulder flexion with my clients is I do loads of adduction and abduction work because uh, with the shoulder. So like I do like um, rear delt flies where the arm is moving from, the shoulder is moving from adduction to abduction. I do loads of almost like press around variations and uh, where the show where the arm is hand is out to the side holding a cable and we press into a deduction and we get a lot of nice shortening in the pecs. When I do that variation, I'm going to get some opening around the posterior and posterior lateral shoulder and you would be surprised at how much cleaning up a deduction can open up shoulder flexion. Uh, it can open up a lot of space around the posterior shoulder and that can open up potentially open up flexion just like maybe a hinge if you can if you can uh, get into a little bit of hip flexion just a bit of hip flexion not end range hip flexion move into a little bit and then get some adduction and some internal rotation from there which opens up the posterior hip guess what? You recheck hip flexion. You actually have more hip flexion now without going into deep hip flexion all of the time. So when you can do that at the shoulder, you can train a lot of adduction and abduction, reaching across the body and back out again at the shoulder. You might be surprised at how much shoulder flexion and extension space you can open up just by getting tissues moving um, and opening in a different way than, than usual. So it seems like uh, this might have been obvious and maybe you have tried this the person that asked that question but it seems like like they're getting aggravated during all their shoulder overhead work in their shoulder during all their overhead work it seems like you 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 probably think to yourself i've tried everything but maybe you haven't tried just not going overhead 
for a week training in a nice middle range somewhere doing lots of adduction and abduction work not this shitty band uh, shoulder external and internal rotation work actually reaching fully across the body and back out uh, actually getting the rear delts like working really hard actually getting the pec to fully shorten by reaching across with load and reaching out with load um and then potentially over the week slowly starting to reintroduce it so just giving it a chance to calm down for a couple of weeks maybe you've tried that maybe not but that's how i would i'm going to take you on your word here rather than saying like okay we need to the stupid answer the the fake smart answer here is it depends of course it depends but what good is that to anyone on a podcast uh, final answer is one that I'm not particularly comfortable with answering because I don't have a good answer for it, but I'm going to read it anyway and other people might be able to chime in. Um, so a question from an owner of a large physiotherapy clinic. So they've been really disappointed at the standard of critical thinking from the staff that they have been interviewing. So they take on a lot of physiotherapists. And the, the staff that they've been, or the potential staff, the interviewees, and then the staff that they've been hiring. And they're wondering if slash how critical thinking skills can be developed in these people. Um, I don't think this is physiotherapists, to be honest. It's just, this is a physiother- an owner of a physiotherapy clinic. So this is, the, this is the population that they're being exposed to. But this is anyone, not anyone, this is a lot of people coming out of colleges and universities they're not being taught how to think we've probably spoken about this on the podcast before they are showing signs of intelligence in terms of like you can you're showing that you can i think i think i think a university degree or a college degree shows some really good stuff that you that you have showed that you can stick with this for four years uh, that's the main thing that it shows. It shows a level of consistency, which is really important. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna try and hire someone, you want to someone you're hiring someone that has put their hand up and said, "I have chosen a path and I have stuck to that for four years." So that it's showing that, which is a, a an immensely important quality in someone that consistency and that focus. It's showing that you have a level of intelligence that you can pass a test in terms of like okay, I can read what it says on that page and then I can write it back down on another page. It's showing that, but that doesn't, there's, it, I don't think it shows any ability to think critically. It's just showing that you can pass a test and stay consistent with someone, which are both with something, which are both really important things. Um, I would like to develop, uh, but it's not just in this industry. It's basically anyone in coming out of university and college. I, I won't say anyone because there could be certain degrees and stuff that are not uh, that are are better at doing this. But um, but yeah, I would like to develop. Uh, this is tongue and cheek, cheek now, but I would like to develop like um, you know Alan Turing. If you've ever watched the Imitation Game, that film with Benedict Cumberbatch, which is really really good. So he's like the one of the godfathers of computer science and in that film and in that story um and in history i should say not story like he was he was trying to break the enigma code wasn't it um so that's what they were developing the the computer for there um but 
he developed a test called the Turing test, which was trying to decide, trying to test if artificial intelligence, if a computer could think basically. So everyone knows a computer can recite, like they can, it can take information and spit it back out at you, but can it actually think for itself? At what stage can it think for itself? And that is becoming uh, more and more important as we go along because now we're entering an uh, like the golden age of well I don't know about golden age but we're entering an age where AI is getting much more sophisticated and people are going to start freaking out and thinking that the computer can actually think for itself and it's going to be difficult I think for these very smart people to actually uh, as as it's going to get difficult for these very smart people to decide and understand at what stage can it think for itself and can it not. Uh, luckily, we have very smart people on the case that is not uh, that most definitely are not answering questions on podcasts or listening to podcasts like this. Not that any of you guys aren't intelligent, but we have uh, this is like this is world threatening questions rather than like my my client has shoulder pain type of questions that my small brain is able to comprehend in some way. So the, the Turing test was developed to try and help people uh, to help decipher whether a computer can think for itself or not, or whether it's reciting uh, or just reciting information. So I would like to develop a test to see if a coach in the industry or a physiotherapist in the industry can actually te- think for it themselves or if they are reciting information. I would say 85%, 90% of our industry would fail that test if I was smart enough to come up with a test like that. Uh, they cannot think for themselves. They are reciting information again and again and again. That's why you see so many of these arguments online because people are uh, not to not to bring a certain system into it but like just look at the content that's coming out of the atg people at the moment like it's literally a thousand clones i don't know thousands of clones of ben patrick every single person is saying the same thing that could be a computer that is literally reading off a script and uh, just doing the same reels, saying the exact same thing, same things that they do not understand. It's all this like this split squat remodels tendons and ligaments and blah 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 blah. Like if you ask that person to explain why, they will be stumped. They will not have a clue how to answer that. So they would fail the Turing test for coaches and physiotherapists within the first two questions. All you have to do is ask why once and they're gone or why twice and they are gone. They're failed. They're out of there. You are not a human being that has a brain capable of critical thinking. You are a computer that is reciting information. You're out of here. So that test (laughs) that a lot of people would fail that test. They're just reciting information, either information that's been read in a book, either information that's been, uh, spoken in in university or whatever are information from their favorite guru at the time and of course those gurus will change over time but what won't change is that they actually still do not think for themselves so how do you develop critical thinking i don't really know it's a tricky one um i think that's so much of that probably comes from uh like parenting i guess like growing up and actually 
a child maybe being asked questions like instead of being told like this is this this is this way for a reason they're actually being asked what do you think about things i i don't know i'm sure there's research on this but that would be my guess that it's not it's not just something it's something that needs to be developed throughout life but if we had a team of physiotherapists i actually spoke about this a little bit i spoke about this a little bit earlier in the episode I spoke about uh, how the physio that I was speaking to, I, I wanted us, I wanted her to be able to ask me a question. Why did you do that exercise? And me be, to be able to explain in, in, in multiple levels of depth. The first level could be, I want to strengthen the quadriceps, but then, it, it, which most people could answer that question. Okay, you're doing a split squat uh I want to strengthen the quadriceps. But then the next question will be, okay, but why did you choose choose that exercise versus this other exercise that would also strengthen the quadriceps? Then hopefully you will have another layer of depth within that answer so that I could say, okay, well, actually I want to strengthen the quadriceps, but I want to uh, make sure that they're loading them in this particular range of motion are avoiding avoiding this particular range of motion and then they would say okay but why did you decide to uh put it before this exercise or after this exercise or why did you decide to use that rep scheme or why did you decide to coach it or cue it in that way or why did you decide blah 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 a million whys so i kind of spoke about that already and i think asking those the uh, i think probably when you have staff like that that you don't feel are thinking in that way the the way to drag it out of them is to probably just ask why more often and hopefully they need to they hopefully they will start to ask you why more often as well so i think that is how to go about it is just like ask them questions why are you doing that in that way not in a like interrogation way but like can you explain that to me why do you why did you choose that they probably won't know why they chose an exercise but just asking them and it might, it might not be a bad exercise they could it could be a really good um they could be have done a really good session a really good therapist a really good professional really good whatever but explain to me why you're doing what you're doing so i think the question is like how uh wondering if critical thinking skills can be developed um i would say hopefully they're being developed throughout a lifetime but i would say if if you feel like they're not present at all one don't hire them (laughs) that would be a good answer uh but two can they be developed probably yeah but it just needs to come from asking more and more questions i'm not sure that like doing a course on critical thinking is going to help or reading a book on critical thinking is going to help i would be constantly asking them questions and forcing them to ask me questions and not that anyone is right you don't have to be right you just have to be trying to ask questions so that you can explain your thought process especially i know this guy has a big physiotherapy clinic with lots of physios so this is really important because as a team you need to be on the same page not that you all need to treat in the same way but if i asked you why is that why did you do that with that client you need to be able to give me an answer that is satisfactory for both of us and makes sense to both of us it doesn't mean i would have done the exact same exercise that doesn't matter but it needs to have some kind of continuity between both of us and throughout the team so that now i can take that client 
and you're out sick okay i can take that client okay i can look at your program and say okay that makes sense why they were doing it in this way i'm probably going to tweak it a little bit here but it still makes sense we're still working on the same things and we're using a shared language here so can critical thinking skills be developed i would say so yeah um i would say so um as long as the person is not insecure enough that when you ask them why they freak out about things that's that's the key so yeah that's my answer um okay hopefully that was a decent episode for today three i feel like actually i chose three tricky questions there three actually very difficult questions because none of them have like super clear cut answers so that maybe that was my mistake for actually choosing those questions all in one day maybe people would prefer if it was like a question that i'm like right dogged about the answer like here is the answer i think to that one but all all these three were kind of like mm, what maybe this maybe that maybe this so uh so yeah more of a discussion i guess um so yeah hopefully you enjoyed the episode remember to give me a little comment or thumbs up on youtube please i will look at them i will like them i will respond back to you say something say anything say something about the podcast ask a question maybe on youtube and i'll answer it in the next episode uh yeah don't forget to buy all our stuff we have lower body basics phase one lower body basics phase two we have upper body basics these are all the three they're the three programs that are kind of like semi-generic kind of here's where i start with my lower body clients here's where i start with my upper body clients and lbb2 here's where i progress on with my lower body clients has a mix of like hip and pelvis stuff and hip um i said hip like lower lower leg strength and mobility type of work uh we have our foot ankle and achilles program which is much more comprehensive four phases of training slash rehab that progresses on um and starts restoring some nice foot and ankle mobility there's a bonus toe big toe section for people who are stuck around the big toe get that big toe baby big toe (laughs) That get that baby moving or that big toe moving not big toe baby um and progresses all the way back up to plyos and there's all these plyo workouts that you can progress through as well and there's a little bit of education sprinkled through that just like like foot contacts during plyos little video on that type of thing um what to do with an insertional achilles versus a mid-tendon achilles just kind of small little stuff like that just to help guide you through it and then we also have djr interactive which is our member site and there's a thousand coaches and therapists in there and there's probably 200 hours of short sharp education 10 15 minutes think of it as a netflix style um so yeah that's the podcast one last thing don't forget to subscribe um if you're on if you're on youtube click subscribe if you're on spotify click following or subscribe if you're on apple or whatever you're listening to click following or subscribe please and give us a five star apart from that i hope you enjoyed the episode and talk to you guys next week